I'll, I'll let it go, and then you can say why you're excited. All right. So why or why are you excited? Yeah, because we've been leading up to the prayer, so now we're finally to the prayer part. So yeah, let's do this. This is the one you wanted, like you said, five and six, and just any other prayer. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, keep it thematic, like you were saying. Right. Man, that's a big word. I don't know what thematic. Is. <laughs> uh, for Bible studies, it means focusing in on a theme. Oh, okay. I got you. Well, yeah, I guess we kind of are. Like we're holding God to His promises. We're talking about Nehemiah's prayer. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. All right. So anyways, guys, welcome back. It's me. It's him. You know who it is. All right. So it's your boy, Dr. J, Sean Christopher Jenkins. And then over here, we got Justin Lee Howell, a.k.a. Einstein. So welcome back to wherever you're watching from. We're streaming on many platforms in many places. We're getting bigger and bigger on social media. So if you've been watching us all the way through, some of you guys are quiet. You don't comment. You don't leave a comment. You don't tell me how you feel or anything. But thank you for watching. I know you're watching. So go ahead and leave a comment. Let me know you're watching all of our videos, all our Bible studies and everything like that. If you don't know, now you know. Uh, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah and just talking about it verse by verse, really elaborating on it. So if you want to uh, listen to all those Bible studies, those Sunday school lessons, those sermons I'm preaching about on the book of Nehemiah, check out my uh, playlist uh, on the book of Nehemiah. On my YouTube channel, Upload Past Crossroads. This is my YouTube channel. Also, I have a podcast. I'm on every podcast platform as well. Upload Past Crossroads is the name right here. And so, also, if you want to listen to more of our Bible studies on all the rest of the verses we did on Nehemiah chapter one, you check out this place on my YouTube channel uh, on the book of Nehemiah chapter one. We went through every single verse. Now, me and Justin are kind of concluding it today, but we're gonna do another video in a few up in few in a few days or a week. Uh, just talking about true confession but today we're going to be talking about how nehemiah held god to held god to his promises and to his word and he prayed about it you know prayed about prayed about god's word you know prayed over his word to god right so that's why it's important to know god's word and everything like that all right so that's what we're going to talk about but here go my other social media platforms you know make sure to befriend me follow me on all the rest of my platforms and everything i got amazing content i'm always posting same thing for justin here goes his youtube channel chaplain's logs and then this is his Facebook page. You can send us a DM. Let me let, let us know how you feel about our videos and our ministries and stuff like that. All right, so let's go ahead and get to it. So like I said, we're in the book of Nehemiah chapter one, and I'm just going to read the whole, all 11 verses so we all get a, a good understanding what's going on with the book of Nehemiah. All right, so let's go ahead and get to it, man. That was a, a long introduction, almost three minutes. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. So here goes Nehemiah chapter one. And I'm going to start off with verse 1. And again, we're focusing on verse 7 through 11 today. So the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hecali, and it came to pass in the month of Cheslu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and a certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews, Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept in certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, 
and thy eyes open the is here the prayer of thy servant which i pray before thee now day and night for the children of israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of israel which we have sinned against thee both i and my father's house have sinned we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commanded thy servant moses Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou hast commanded thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, keep my commandments and do them. Though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost parts of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thou servants and thou people whom thou hast redeemed and thou great power and by thou strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thy ear be a tell thou servant and to the prayer of thou servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thou servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was a king's cupbearer. All right, so we're starting off with verse seven today. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou have commanded thou servant Moses. All right. Man, that was a lot to read this time. <laughs> okay, let me jump in on this. Because right. I like, again, I like, um, I think I said this last week too, starting with verse 6. But I like how he starts off, uh, first and foremost, verse 5, he just praises God. But then immediately in 6 and 7, it's like he's confessing his, his sins. When the disciples asked Jesus how they needed to pray, like this was how Jesus was telling them to pray. This was before Jesus came and Nehemiah already had this down. But he's saying like he knew they were wicked. He knew that they didn't obey their commands and he's still praying. Um, and that's because uh, in 1 John 1, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of from all unrighteousness. So God wants us to, first and foremost, to confess our sins. If you, man, if you look in the book of Lamentations, Sean, have you ever read the book of Lamentations? Well, I read it, but I mean, I was young. I didn't understand it. It's a, yeah, it's easy book to read because it's this long list of what to do to be forgiven of your sins. Uh, that, that's a, man, that's a completely different topic though for now about um if we didn't have jesus forgiving us for our sins it would be we'd have to do it to try to make ourselves right with god but that's that's a whole nother bible study but the main point of that is is god doesn't want us sacrificing these rams or goats for the sake of it he wants us to give up something so we are accountable for our sins and i like that nehemiah is doing the same thing that he's acknowledging their sin first and foremost and that's important like you don't want to be pompous and like entitled and just think that you deserve your prayers answered right away we kind of have to acknowledge that we don't deserve this but we're asking this because god is a loving god he's a father like paul said like what kind of father would give their children um a stone when they ask for bread like i is playing to that by acknowledging that no, they don't deserve this, but he knows that God is a loving God who will watch over them and answer them. Yeah. So I, and I just like how verse 7 starts off with that. Right. Yeah, I'm going to focus on 7 on the last video we do on Nehemiah chapter 1. Because um, mm -hmm. just talk about like confessing your sins and stuff like that. So I'm going to wait. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm going to start off with verse 8. So, uh, yeah, with verse 8, I'm not going to read it. I'll read it in a minute. But, like, Nehemiah, I always see from this prayer and just the whole book of Nehemiah, what we've been talking about is Nehemiah was a man in the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. He knew Scripture, and he quoted he quoted it back to God, right? So if you really want to know God and want to know what he's like, go into his Word. Like, everybody, everybody says they want a great relationship with God. But if I, I told if I told you right now, go to heaven. Like if you say you have a relationship with God, you're close to God, you love the Lord, go to heaven right now. How you how you gonna get there? Right? How you gonna get there? Like if God's real, go to heaven right now. Like if I was atheist, that's what I say to you. Like, how you gonna get there? Right? So the only way you get there is through his word. There's no other way, right? Jesus is the only way, right? So his word is him speaking. So the more we know God, the more we'll know his word, right? The more effective and fruitful and for our life's going to be right because we're going to hold God to the standard that He has set, which is His Word, right? It's His love letter to us, so we can hold Him to that love letter that He's given to us, right? So, Nehemiah, please, what God had said to them before, right? The rule He had settled on His proceedings towards them, which might be the rule of their expectations for Him, yeah. So, like Nehemiah, He's essentially quoting a lot of scripture verses, first of all. But he said from your servant Moses, like he said, I think he said it twice. I don't remember how many times he said it, but he said, this is from your servant Moses. You said this, right? So one of the scripture verses he was quoting is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse one through five. I'm going to wait to read that. And so when he quote, when he's quoting these scripture verses, you know, Nehemiah, Nehemiah is begging God to keep his promises that had God at Nehemiah's, you know, that God at Nehemiah's desires. And this was the cost, his promises helped Nehemiah to ground his faith and and it gave Nehemiah hope is what Nehemiah built his hope upon and now he's praying it back to God to keep the promises that he made to Moses keep the promises that he made before he even existed and these promises I'm just gonna spoil it so in the book of Deuteronomy it's written a thousand years before Nehemiah was ever born before Nehemiah's time period so we've been saying in all our videos in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah was around, and the, the setting of the book of Nehemiah is around four, 444 BC. And then a thousand years from that, you just do the math. <laughs> like, that, this is he's holding God the promises he made a thousand years ago in the book of Deuteronomy. But I'm gonna say the other scripture verses in a minute. So, another point I was gonna make is you know, if God was not more mindful of his promises than we are of his precepts and his promises and his word, then this would be a problem, right? But obviously, he knows the Bible better than any of us could ever know it. Obviously, because it's his 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 words to us. It's his character. It's the way he operates. It's who he is, right? Especially the Holy Spirit, right? So, yeah, I'm not even gonna elaborate on that. You guys can, you know, think about that. All right. So God knows His promises better than anyone ever could, and our best pleas, therefore, in prayer are those that are taken from the promises of God. So, in Psalms chapter one, nineteen, verse forty nine. David said this, remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast cast me, cost me to hope, right? So, and Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he said, now hope does not disappoint. We won't be put to shame or embarrassed. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the Holy Spirit caused men to write the Bible. That's what I was going to say in a minute. I said I was going to preach, but here we go. The Holy Spirit came upon men and that's how the bible came about right so god uses men to write to do things right this is the way he operates how else was he going to make a bible right 
The only thing that he wrote was the Ten Commandments on a stone. That's it, right? <laughs> but the Holy Spirit came upon men and wrote the scriptures for men, right? So ain't nothing God operates. So now I'm going to read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1 through 5. And this was a promise that God made to the Israelites if they did certain things, right? And so uh, it's called a title of it, you know, in the New English Version Bible and other Bible versions, they always give titles to different sections in the Bible. So Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 through 5 says, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where you are scattered, right? <laughs> guys, literally, oh my gosh, like Nehemiah, he knew the Bible, right? He's holding God to his promises. He said, if you promise. That if, he said it in the first verse in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1 through 5, right? God said, I have set before you, if you, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you. So blessings and curses, when they come upon you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord, your God disperses you among the nations. See, in Nehemiah's time period, they were scattered. They were everywhere. Why? Because they were captives to Babylon 150 years before Nehemiah's time period in 444 BC. And then before that, 90, a remnant went, a, a remnant of Israelites went back to the promised land, went back to Jerusalem, right? And then 70 years before Nehemiah's time period, they, they rebuilt the temple there. But the walls and the gates are down, like it said in Nehemiah chapter 1. So this is Nehemiah's time period. It didn't make no sense to him. Right. And so he's like, God, man, you're better than this. Like you, you love your people more than this. Like it said in Nehemiah chapter one that these people were living in disgrace and in shame and they were in great reproach and they were afflicted. Right. That's a lot of stuff. Right. I'm, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But like, guys, they were dispersed and scattered throughout everywhere. Right. So now the Persians and just imagine being an Israelite. Right. You captives to Babylon. Babylon loses to Persia, so you expect to go back to Jerusalem ASAP, right? But that didn't happen. They were still scattered. Everybody was still doing their own thing with whatever nation they found themselves with. But the Persian nation was the world power. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, like he said in Nehemiah chapter 1, all right? And he's in Sushan the palace. He's not in Jerusalem with God's people where he wants to be, right? So everybody's scattered. God's people aren't where God intended them to be, right? Where he wanted them to be in Jerusalem, worshiping him and, and celebrating him and serving him, right? So, yeah. So, okay, let me finish reading this. So, this is the main part Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 4 through 5. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. This is a promise from God. <laughs> he will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, Jerusalem, right? And you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And remember, God promised Abraham you'll be more numerous than the stars, right? You'll be, you'll have, you see how many grains of sand there is? There'll be more descendants and children that you'll have than that, right? That, that is crazy, right? So, <laughs> yeah, Justin, I'll, I'll stop and let you say something, but yeah, I got a few bit, a few more stuff to share too, but. Yeah, I'm just trying to. 
feel like everything I have to say will probably kind of be taken off the rails a little bit. I'm trying to fit into what you were saying too. But yeah, I, I do think like it's um, it's crazy to think that the history of all of it is like very important as well. Uh, that you were explaining like the timeline and like the people who are influenced to write all this as well. Like I always try to tell my brother. Um, my brother always says, uh, I'm not I'm not harking on him or anything. I'm just using it as an example. He's saying like if uh, God was really who, like um, like why uh, why why are other people writing the Bible? Like why didn't God himself like send down a book or something like that? Could it just be like people who are writing something they think happened? And it's like, yeah, but this is like a this is like over forty people writing the same thing like pointing towards the same direction, pointed towards God, who are writing this stuff. And like, there's no other literature in the history that does something like this. And like, none of it contradicts itself. You would think like if 40 people over the span of centuries wrote something, someone's going to accidentally slip up or like ruin the continuity of it. But no, but the Bible like is very obvious in that it points towards um, a similar goal. I think, Nehemiah just has a complete trust in God's promises as well. Like if we didn't, if we didn't have the hope for things that we don't see, like we would have nothing. Like we would only depend on like what we see, what our eyes see. Back in Nehemiah's time, if I saw a burned city, I would say, well, that's just a burned city. But no, Nehemiah sees this as an opportunity for God's promise to shine. Um, like the, the disciples and the people around Jesus were asking, was this man blind because of his sins or his uh, father's sins? And like, who asked when? Who asks that? That's a, that's always like irks me because like, it'd be like, man, why, like, is he miserable because of his own fault? Man, that's just a mean thing to ask. But Jesus was like, no, none of that. It's like an opportunity for God's glory to show. Yeah. Like, that's where Nehemiah said for this as well. Like, he he remembers the instruction that he gave to Moses. Like, he will scatter them among uh, the people. And I'm going to jump a little into verse 9 as well. Yeah, but if me and obey my commands, like, he, like, that's a, Jesus later on says, man, this, I love relating this book to Jesus because Nehemiah was ahead of his time. Yeah. But in uh, John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. So we, we need a love and a trust in God in order to really see the opportunities, really see the works that God has for us. And we, we've mentioned this plenty of times on this channel. Like um, if we, like we uh, get what we sow, if we, if we are looking for pessimism in our life, we're going to get some pessimism. If we're going to look for opportunities that God can show himself, we're going to find those opportunities. So a big part of it is just like putting, confessing our sins and just like putting our trust in God to deliver us from them. Yeah. Man, God's talking, bro. I'm about to share this up. I already know this video about to be epic. <laughs> so like, Cause like you said, you didn't even know what you wanted to say, but then we go, we're on the same page, bro. Like, let me read. We're in Nehemiah chapter one. All right. We read seven, but we're going to say seven for another day. Let's go ahead and go to Nehemiah chapter one, verse eight. 
and nine, like Justin said, right? So in Nehemiah chapter one, verse eight, it reads, remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commanded thou servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. So Justin just talked about it. Like when it comes to the walls, and we talked about it in the other videos in Nehemiah chapter one, when it came to the walls, walls symbolize something. Everything physical in this world symbolize something spiritual. Like something spiritual is going on where everything physical in the world. So wherever, especially if a calamity happens, if uh, destruction happens, if if something is so, if 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 you have are you if you're in dismay and disarray in your household, right? Something spiritual is going on, right? It's not something physical that you see. Like all these altercations and fights, I hate you, racism. It's something spiritual going on, not just something physical that you see, right? So, like the wall symbolized Israel's relationship with God, hands down. Like this is God's city. It'd be different if it was somebody else's city. This was God's redeemed people's promised land. It's the promised land. Come on. If this is God's city, the God of all gods, the, the only true God, the one true God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, right? If this is his city, his city should be better than everybody else's, right? Like, let's keep it real. His people should be better than everybody else's. We should be more secure and safe than anybody else. But the Israelites weren't in this situation. So the walls resemble Israel's relationship with God. The reason why God's not glorified like that and the reason why the Israelites have went through all the problems that they went through was because the Israelites have sinned. And what was a promise in the New Testament? Like, there's so many promises. You know, here goes one. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, like Justin said, Nehemiah was way past his sin. He, it's, I mean, way past his time. You know, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, right? The wages of sin, there's a penalty for sins. There's consequences for sins. There's consequences for your actions. So if you don't do things God's way, how you think you why you think you're gonna be blessed if you don't do things the right way? That's doing it the right way. Why do you think you're gonna have good results? That's not gonna happen, right? Some people get lucky. I'll just keep it there. Like, there's a lot of wicked people that are successful in this world. And like Justin, man, you you're just talking, man. Like when you said that, why that person asked Jesus, you know, has this parents person's parents sinned? You know, why is why does he have this a disability? I think he was blind, right? So yeah. uh yeah, like the whole point of that story is two different ways to look at it, right? Like sometimes people go through bad things and stuff happens to them because, you know, God wants the glory. That's it, right? God's still going to get the glory. Can somebody be crippled and God still get the glory? Yes. Can somebody be blind and deaf? I just thought about that the other day. If I was blind and deaf, how awful would life be? Like, how can you navigate through life? Helen Keller? Like, that's crazy to me. It, but like, is God still glorified? Yes. Fanny Crosby. Yes. Like, you know, like that doesn't stop God from getting the praise. Do you, do you, do you, everything have to be good in your life to get the praise? No. Like <laughs> to give God the praise? No. Right. Does everything have to be bad in your life to give God the praise? Can you still give God the praise when things are bad? Yes. So I just wanted to throw that out there. All right. Let's go on. Totally side rails. Thanks a lot, Justin. But anyways, <laughs> like we see in Nehemiah chapter one, verse eight. That first word that Jesus, that Nehemiah says to God is remember, right? When he's praying to God, he says, remember, this is a powerful way to come to God, right? Asking God to remember his promises, right? We talked about that. So Nehemiah said, Lord, you made a promise to Moses in this nation. I ask you now to make good on it, right? And that's what we can hold God to. We can hold God to his word. So the secret to 
the secret to great power in prayer is to plead the promises uh, of God back to God, right? So I'm gonna use an analogy. So we may be a bit annoyed when one of our children comes to us. So as a mother or father, and they say, you know, you promised this, you promised this, right? <laughs> but God, the God of heaven, he delights when we do stuff like that, right? He often even demands that we go before him in prayer and like this, and then prayer becomes effective when we do this, right? So you can't hold on to God's promises if you don't know his word, right? You got to know his word to be able to hold him to his word, right? And that's why it's so powerful. I just read, I read to you Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1 through 5. All you got to do is repent and come to him, and then God's going to make a way for you. What are some other promises that Nehemiah held God to? With just Nehemiah chapter 1, this is just the first book of Nehemiah. This is crazy, right? Nehemiah was quoting basically, again, he's before his time period. In Psalms chapter 81, verse 10, is that, that's not even before his time period. That's, that's way after. All right, so David was before Nehemiah. All right, so in Psalms 81, verse 10, this is what Nehemiah is quoting. He said, I am the Lord thou God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. So God says to his people, open your mouth wide, and I will fill it, right? What does that mean? It means ask God, come to God, plead to God, you know, hold God to his promises. And this is what he promises. God will not open his storehouse, right, until we open our mouths and asking him to perform his promises, right? <laughs> so, like, he got plenty of blessings waiting for you. He got plenty of miracles waiting for you. All you got to do is ask. And I'm going to come back to that, man. So, uh, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and go there. I was going to save it for the end with uh, with uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. But I'm just going to have to go there right now, man, because this is too good, man. You know, so often, you know, we being children of God, we don't take advantage of the positions that we're in, right? And when I say positions, I mean positions in a lot of ways, right? Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. God positioned this man to have the king's ear, right? We've been talking about that all throughout all our Bible studies with uh, Nehemiah chapter one, right? So God positioned Nehemiah in a way with the king to not just have his ear, but to be close to him. So he sets the king's schedule. He drinks and eats everything the king eats and drinks before he the king eats and drinks it because he's a cupbearer to the king, right? So like he has close communications, close ties, and it's just there with the king all the time, right? So this is the position he found himself in. That's one position. Another position is, you know, he's he's a child of God. How, what do you think a father wants to do for his child, right? And this is just an earthly. We're just looking at, when I said that, I know you thought about an earthly father. But we're talking about your heavenly father. Like, what will he do for his child if you just ask him for something? And then it's aligned with his will and what he wants to do, you see? So... Our positions as children of the living king, you know, the creator of all things, you know, we're heirs to the throne. We can depend on him and rely on him whenever. But the question is, do you depend on him and rely on him enough, right? Do you plead to him enough? Do you go to him enough? You know, we don't talk to God enough, right? And we see Nehemiah here, man, he's asking great things from a great guy because he knew who he was talking to. He knew his position as a child and knew he could go to God for anything and God will come through, especially when you hold God to his promises and you're in line with his will already. Come on, God's going to do great things. So we, at, we ask great things from a great God for great results. 
Like God is God too short to do great results? Like is his arms too small to do to accomplish great feats? Right. So like the awful situations that we face in life, the trials, the troubles, the stresses, the worries. We have a God who can do anything, right? We have a God that can move any mountain if we just ask him, right? Uh, yet we think some mountains are just impossible to move. Like we think some situations are too big for God, essentially, because it's just it's just not going to happen. It's, it's impossible, right? Come on. Nehemiah didn't do that. So do you want God to rebuild something in your life? Then ask, right? This is the application. Do you want healing, you know, health, restoration in some relationship? Then ask. You know, do you want God to move in your hearts of your friends, your family, so that they can cherish God like you do? Ask, right? Do you want power to fight sin, to resist sin and say no to temptation? That's, you know, that's sin that keeps coming back in your life, like weeds in the grass that seem to never go away. That one sin that you that uh, that you want the roots to be rooted out of, right? Then ask, right? And that's so many scripture verses. So again, like Justin said, Nehemiah's past his time period, right? So James chapter four, verse two to three says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot attain, ye fight and war, yet ye, ye have not because ye ask not. And ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, <laughs> that ye may consume it upon your own desires. This is why you don't get anything, right? This is why things don't happen in your life. Because what you're asking ain't in line with God's, God's will and God's promises and what God's trying to do on this earth and in your life. So true renewal and true rebuilding happens when we ask God to move. But not just that, when we ask God to move, aligning in his will anyway, right? And we've been talking about that like crazy in the book of Nehemiah, man. Like God's going to give you his desires in, in your heart. The more you spend time with him, the more you know his word, the more you stay in his word. And this is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in line with God's will and what God wanted to do because the need that God has placed inside of him, the need that the the need, the purpose, that's what I should call it. But the need that the that he was seeing in the world that needed to happen you know, the walls being rebuilt and the gates being rebuilt in Jerusalem came from God. So this was his purpose. This was his calling. So the same thing for us, guys, whatever need in the world that you see that aggravates you, that 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 irks your gears, that you want to change, that you know is not glorifying God. That's your purpose. That's what you should be doing something about. Not just talking about it. You should be doing something about it. But you got to pray about it first. You got to make sure you're aligned with God's will. You got to make sure you're doing things God's way. This is the book of Nehemiah, man. Like, this is so crazy that this is the first chapter. And we're only on First eight verses. <laughs> man, it's just so much with that, man. Mm -hmm. I think I'm good, man. I, I think I'm good talking about just that. Ben, also made me think of a verse I really like, John 15, 7. All right. uh, remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And like, I, I feel like that's so important because uh, what you're saying is like, yeah, sometimes we'll ask for stuff that's not in line with what God wants for us because God wants something greater for us. So if we if we are in God and we remember his words, like our prayers are going to line up with God's mindset, like our hearts are going to be united with God's mindset. And I think that's really important, like my words remaining in you. We have to remember what God does promise. A lot of times we expect things out of life that we think shouldn't be happening. Um, like we, I, I think especially nowadays where it feels like the norm. We expect to have like a good job. We expect to be married. We expect to like have an easygoing life, especially Christians. Like, um, 
trying to bash any real world people, but Joel Olstein like is like too optimistic about that. He thinks like if you if you become a Christian, like your life is gonna be easy. You're going money that you need, you're going to be taken care of. But that's not what God promised. Like if you know what God's promises are, like Nehemiah did, like then you know what to pray for. You don't ask for you don't ask to have like a fancy house or a good car or a job that's easy. You ask for the things that he wants for you. Um, and it's, you, you, gosh, you just, you're just more in tune with the spirit that God is trying to deliver to you as well, because it's, it's focused less on you and more about the kingdom, like where you place it in it is. It's picked up the meism. It takes out the selfishness. And as I said before, like since getting married, Yao and I were going through this uh, counseling where we learned if we are both focused on God instead of each other, that's the mindset that God wants us to be. He wants us to be in a mindset of focusing on others. Like if we are focused on each other, we place each other on pedestals. That's that's unhealthy stuff. But if we focus on God, if we abide in him, then we're going to see the opportunities in the life that God actually wants for us. Man, you're preaching, bro. Like, oh, no, well, a little bit. You just some of the things he said just were in tune with some verses I was thinking. Yeah, I, a couple of times. Man, we, I'm telling you, man, it's about to get deep, bro. Like, it's about to get crazy. All right, so I'm gonna go back. I'm not even gonna read it. All right, so you guys know we're in the book of Nehemiah, chapter one, right? In some part in the book of Nehemiah, chapter one, like verse seven or eight, y'all let me know where it is. Seven, eight, nine, somewhere right there. It says, If ye return to me and keep my commandments and do them. This is Nehemiah holding God to his promises. He's saying, verse, If you, what you say? Verse nine, yeah. Verse nine. All right, so Nehemiah is saying that God, you promise if ye, if we return to you and keep your commandments and do them, you're going to do this, right? And so Nehemiah, he really couldn't know if the whole nation was keeping God's commandments, right? But he knew he was keeping God's commandments, right? And because he identified himself with the nation, they all sinned, right? But Nehemiah knew again, you know, he was keeping God's commandments. And that's like the book of James. In the book of James, it says, I saw this like yesterday or two days ago. It says that the effectual, the effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Something like that, but like basically, the prayer of a righteous person avails much. It does a, it does a lot, right? And this is a righteous person praying. So imagine if you obeyed the Lord, you follow His commandments. What the results are going to be? Imagine when you do things God's way, what kind of life you will create in the long run, right? And that's what <laughs> it's just so much. But imagine if you don't do things God's way, where your life will end up. And this is some of His promises as well. You can have God's blessings or you can have his curses. Choose ye this day which one you want. That's another scripture verse. You can choose blessings. You should choose curses. You can choose life. You can choose death. You can choose heaven. You can choose hell. Those, those are the only choices you get, right? There's no other in between, right? So, uh, yeah, so God promised the nation destruction if they just were going to live in sin, right? And so it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 37, verse 15 to 23. I'm going to read verses 15 to 21 because it's so it relates to this lesson like crazy. So in 2 Chronicles, it's written a long time before Nehemiah's time period, like 971 B.C. to 800 to yeah, 971 B.C. to 
587 BC is the setting of Second Chronicles. So way before Nehemiah's time period in 444 BC, right? But in Second Chronicles chapter 36, that same chapter I'm about to read, in verse 22 to 23, that portion they say was written like in 587 BC. But all the rest of like Second Chronicles is written in 971 BC. So way before 587 BC, right? So anyways, um, let's go ahead and read it. So Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15 to 21. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. And there was no remedy. <laughs> so until things got bad, right? That's when they remembered the Lord, right? All right. So he brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with sword with with a sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the informed. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and the officials. All right, here goes the good, important part. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. That's the whole point. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, that's what Nehemiah heard from Hanani was still going on in Jerusalem. That right there. The, the, the walls are down. The gates are burned with fire. The whole city's in ruins. After 150 years, right? That's just sad. And they've been back, the Israelites have been back in Jerusalem for 90 years before Nehemiah's time period. Pathetic, right? So he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors into the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of his des uh, desolation, it rested until the 70, 70th years were completed in the fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. All right, I'm just going to say that part. All right, so this was what God was promising would happen if they disobeyed, right? But Nehemiah says, man, God, you promised if we turn back to you, if we return to you, you're going to do something different. Like this was the penalty if they refused to do anything God's way, right? But what happens if we turn back to you, God? What happens if we repent and do things your way? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of, of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So wherever you find yourself, wherever you're scattered at, God will assemble you. God will bring you back to the land. And me and Justin did a video on that. with talking about King Cyrus, like how God was going to, make a way for king cyrus right he's gonna uh level the mountains right he's gonna level the mountains with the highways so he's gonna lower the mountains and level it with the uh highway and it's just gonna be easier path to get to the promised land right from wherever they find themselves at in the four corners of all the earth and all in all the scattered places that they're at because the israelites are everywhere because of their uh disobedience right and so in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 9, but if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, this is what Nehemiah is saying back to God. Though there were of you cast out into the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them, uh, gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Right? He's chosen to set his name in Jerusalem. 
And I read Isaiah earlier, right? Isaiah was written 250 years before Nehemiah's time period. I told you Deuteronomy was written, written a thousand years before Nehemiah's time period. And that's so important to know because here goes a question for you guys. How many of us ask the Lord for something waiting on an answer instantly or like waiting on, on, a, on our prayers to be answered right then and there, right? How, how often does that happen? Right. That that never happens, really. Right. So <laughs> so the Lord answers prayers, but he does it on his timetable. Right. Mm-hmm. His time is perfect. Right. So why did it take so long for the Israelites to come back to the land? Right. Why were they scattered and in captivity in the other nations for so long? Because it's like nobody repented or something. It's like nobody thought to like, you know, if we turn back to God, like he's going to let us back in. Right. So like. But Nehemiah did, right? So, uh, yeah, so in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25 to 28, um, I told you the book of Deuteronomy is written a thousand years before Nehemiah's time period. And Nehemiah knew the Bible, man. He just quoted God's word back to him and prayed over it. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how you pray. You want to know how you pray? You want to see God's word manifested in your life? You want to see God showing his way and working in miraculous ways in your life? Pray over his word, know his word, study his word, stay in his word, know him. Because if you know his word, you know him, right? So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25, 28, after you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if ye then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. He said this a thousand years before, Justin. This is crazy. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. And they did not live there long, right? So the Lord will scatter you from among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. That's, come on. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there, you seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. This is all it takes to come back to God, right? Just repent. Turn from your sins. If you confess, you know, your unrighteousness before God, he will bring you and restore you back in relationship with him. Think about the prodigal son. Think about all the stuff he did to his father. And all he had to do was show up. The, the prodigal son made a whole speech, a whole pledge ready. He was going to Beg his father to let him back in the, into his palace. And he was even going to tell his father, I just want to be a servant. I can just, you know, help out with the pigs or something. But the father hugged him and said, this is my son. Give him his robe. Give him everything. This is what God's going to do with you. All you got to do is turn to him. Right? And Nehemiah knew this about God. He knew all he had to do is repent, turn from his sins, and that he'll restore the relationship back to with him better than ever before. And like like the verses said, we literally read that. Like, so man, so why was it important to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem? Right? I want to hone in on that. This is the whole text of the whole book of Nehemiah, the whole book of Nehemiah, right? Not just Nehemiah chapter one. The destruction of Jerusalem's walls left its people exposed to great trouble and shame. Christians in great trouble or shame, right? In in God's city, in God's dominion, out of all the earth where God wants to show people how he operates and works. This isn't glorified God, right? So whether white animals and opposing people and other opponents could easily enter and cause great trouble and affliction 
to the people like we see with verse 3. So rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was important because it, re, it re, revealed God's, uh, God's blessing, right? It served as a sign to Israel's enemies, right? Letting them know that God's, who God's people are and who protects them and how you don't mess with them, right? And then the third one, third reason, you know, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, why rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem is important is because it shows uh, God was with his people, right? So the walls provided protection and dignity to a people who suffered the judgment of God, but had later been restored and returned to the promised land. So re rebuilding the wall shows that their relationship with God will be re is restored. God has forgiven them of their sins. And now they have their right relationship with God again, right? And so that's some of the other verses, man. I'm, I'm going to wait to say it. But Justin, you had anything else with uh, verses 7 through 9? Yeah, I just want to say something for nine that really struck a chord too, with about how he associated himself with the nation, um, like how they were all spread out. That was something that really stuck out to me too, where it says, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, like he really believed that um, God could deliver wherever they are. And like he placed no limitations on God, which is amazing. Yeah. Like, Again, that it this reminds me of more about Jesus's journey. I feel like I do that of uh, make parallels all the time on that. But like there was a, I think he was a century. He asked Jesus if he could um, heal his daughter from a distance, and like Jesus, like was amazed at his faith because this man understood that Jesus could heal from a distance. Like he didn't have a limitation. He didn't believe in limitations that a lot of people believed in. It. Like even when. Um, Mary and Martha, who were so close to Jesus, thought that if he were there in time to save Lazarus, he could. But they didn't believe that he could save him after death. Like, no one would. It was unprecedented. Yeah. But this man knew that Jesus could uh, heal from a distance. Like, Nehemiah knew God could bring people from wherever they could. And that's, that's amazing to me because it's like he doesn't put God into a box. Mm -hmm. That really stuck out to me too is like um it, it, this was this is in my notes this is just something you said but there's a lot of times where bad things happen because of either circumstance or consequences a lot of times uh, if it's circumstance a lot of times bad things happen because we live in a sinful world because other people kind of screwed us over just a number of reasons and like we don't need to find out if it's if it's because of the enemy, sometimes it is. I don't want to downplay that. But also sometimes we might think, oh, so it's because of the enemy. Sometimes bad things just happen because we're in a broken world. And sometimes that that could have, but God can still use moments like those, like with the blind man that we were talking about. But a lot of times, sometimes um, bad things happen because of our own consequence or we don't do things the way God has instructed us to. And we pay the price for that. We think, um, like we think, like God is trying to screw us over, but sometimes it's because we didn't follow what He instructed us to. Like Second Samuel, I used to have a problem with like um, uh, what was his name? Um, the guy who was carrying the ark and he accidentally touched it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Uzer or something. I don't remember his name. Bazaar, yeah, yeah, Bazaar or Kazar. I I can't remember. Uh, he's dead now. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. Uza, Uza. I, why did God like struck him down and like studying into it further? 
I found out it was because King David and everybody did not follow the instructions God had for the ark. And that's, and unfortunately he paid for the consequences. He had a good intention of like keeping it from falling, but we have to be aware that there are consequences in this world. Um, so if like, if we believe that God's not doing something for us, it might be because we aren't following what he already told us to do. Mm. But yeah, just what you were saying really struck a chord for me. Or like sometimes it's circumstance, sometimes it's consequence. Yeah. But we follow God no matter what because he's promised to watch over us if we do follow his commandments. Mm-hmm. And what a lesson, man. All right, so yeah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. So me and Justin about to close out the lesson, right? You had anything else with 7 and 9 or you good? No, I think, man, I think we killed that. Yeah. I'm ready for all right, yeah, I agree, man. All right, so let's, I'm going to share my screen so we can read these verses and close out the lesson. Hopefully we can close it out, you know, before an hour hits. Uh, we'll see, though. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. So now these are thou servants and thou people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thou strong hand. Okay, first thing, y'all need to look at how many times he said thou servants, right? Mm. Thou people, that. Thou hast redeemed. Like you did this guy by your great power and your strong hand. All right. So, all right. So we got a visual. I'm just going to go ahead and go in, Justin. All right. So you guys saw how many times he said that, right? So he said it. Uh, let me get my notes out so I said the right number. So five times in verse 10, Nehemiah repeats, you know, you or your, as if to say, these are my people, God. You know, these are your people. And me and Justin did a lesson on that, actually, with J- Jeremiah. On my YouTube channel, like it's way back a long time ago. So like we we were a part of men men's Bible study, and we did the Book of Exodus. And with the Book of Exodus, God and Moses at one point were arguing about whose people the Israelites were. Like God was like Moses, those are your people, and, my, and Moses was like God, those are your people. You created them. Like <laughs> those are your people who sinning. Uh, Moses, Moses, like, no, God, you created them. And see, God got a sense of humor, God. So, anyway, so God wants us to feel the burden for others, but then He wants us to roll that burden back to Him, right? So, Nehemiah saying, You know, these are your people, you redeemed them, you called them, you scattered them, so you need to bring them back, right? Like, this is God's burden. Like, Nehemiah, He had a burden in His heart, He had a he had a, a, a calling, a purpose. Whatever burden is in your heart, it's your calling and purpose. But it's not yours alone to bear. You can't bear it alone. This is something God has ordained. And I mean just any burden and calling, any uh thing that you want to happen in this world that's going to glorify God and brings glory and honor to God and expands his kingdom and saves souls and all that stuff. Man, that comes from God, but only God can do it through you, right? You can't do it by yourself. And I'm going to talk about that a lot with Nehemiah. But, you know, Nehemiah... Okay, let me just go ahead and say it. It, it took a mile to two miles to rebuild the walls of, Jeru- of Jerusalem. It was going to take a mile to two miles, right, of iron and wood and gold. Like, you know how long? It took 52 days for them to build the, this this whole the whole walls around Jerusalem in its gates, right? So a mile to two miles. How long do you think that would have took Nehemiah if he did it by himself? Like we'll see in Nehemiah chapter three that a lot of people helped with the project, a lot of tribes in all Israel. Like everybody came together to help with this project that took 52 days. Imagine if Nehemiah had to do the project by himself, right? It would not have gone well. Like it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. So how long do you think it would have took 
Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that's what it takes with a God dream. It takes more than one person, man. God wants us to remember that it's not in our power alone, but his power. You know, not by my might, but your might, Lord, that I can do this. You know, so God wants us to remember that it is not our power, but his power that redeems us. Redeems us, helps them, or helps anybody, right? Only by God's power. So, man, let God's power be manifested inside you. Let God have his way. Stop trying to do things on your own initiative. And Nehemiah didn't do this. Nehemiah prayed before he did anything. That's, that should tell you a lot about Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah didn't think he could accomplish this by himself, right? And I want to say that too. Like one of the things I was going to bring up was, is how Nehemiah, um, man, I wish I, I just knew where my notes were like that, but I'll say it eventually, <laughs> but it's a perfect time to say it right now instead of waiting. Ah, oh, dang it. I can't find it. Yeah, I, I can't find it, man. I just got to wait until I get there. <laughs> that sucks so bad. That happens. Yeah, I just got to wait till I get there, man. I'm sorry, guys. All right, let's just go ahead and go. Man. I, it was just flowing, man. I just yeah. perfectly no, share it right now. Now, I'll jump on that, then. Okay. Uh, maybe while I'm talking. But yeah, I just oh gosh, there's a lot to say about 10 and 11 as well. I'm trying to figure out how I want to do this. <laughs> like, um, it's like just the fact that he is um, like, I, I, I like that this prayer has bookends to it. I'll start with that. Like he is praising God at the beginning and now he's like praising God at the end as well. He's, he's just talking about God's redemption, God's strength, his mighty hand. Like, he's not brown-nosing at all. He's just, like, in awe. Like, think of all the times in the Old Testament and, the, and like, um, and in the Gospels as well uh, with Mary and Joseph. Like, all the times whenever someone encounters God or encounters an angel, they just fall down in awe. Like, they, they can't help themselves. And Nehemiah just praising God like this should be a natural reaction to how we interact with God as well. It, he's, he obviously knows his place, not in a bad way, but he calls himself a servant. He's humbling himself. Humbling, remember, as we said, humbling yourself is not putting yourself down, it's putting others first. And Nehemiah is definitely putting God first in all of this. And gosh, that's, that's, that's like the crux of it all, isn't it? Like Israel, uh, the people of Israel and Jerusalem were in their messes because they never followed god they always tried to do things their own way but nehemiah is putting god first in all of this he's following his commands uh hold on i have another verse i need to pull up and you find it real fast okay uh, oh here it is oh no already said that but anyway <laughs> sorry but john 14 21 i'll repeat it whoever has my commands and obeys them he's the one who loves me like it's easy to say that we love god but in it and to lean on his mercy which is so true we we'd be nothing without god and jesus's mercy and what he did on the cross but it really are we really showing love if we're not following his commandments are we like yeah i love you god but i don't think i'll listen like it's so important to remember that faith without works as paul said is like dirty rags we have to remember that we are his servants like we aren't just riding on his tailcoats because we love him we're helping 
push the kingdom of God. As Sean said at the very beginning, coming full circle, like God used people to write the Bible. God used his um, prophets to spread his word. He's using us as servants to spread his word. And that's very important to recognize that we are his servants. And Nehemiah is coming to God as a servant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll just, I can't find what I was going to talk about, and I forgot anyway, so. Um, next time I'll just say it instead of looking. Yeah, that's fine. Right, but all right, so we're on verse 10 still, and then I want to close it out with 11. So, Nehemiah uh, said, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, right? We, we put emphasis on that with verse 10. All right, so Nehemiah pleased the great things God had formerly done for them, right? In the days of old, right? So, therefore, God's power is he's nehemiah is saying god's power is still the same it hasn't changed right his power has not changed right so nehemiah is essentially saying what some people just think they don't ever think about right like mm -hmm. here goes a question can god not still redeem them and perfect uh their redemption right like has god lost a step basically you know is he less powerful than he was before right Nehemiah is like, heck no. Like, you know, he's still the same guy. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, those who fear the Lord should not be overpowered by any enemy, right? Because they have a God of infinite power on their side. So Nehemiah is suggesting to God, to us, to the people who are Israelites, who are scattered throughout all the land, who, who are in captivity, who are living in shame and reproach in Jerusalem. He's saying that, you know, Christ has died for your victory. I mean, he ain't died yet, though. But he's, he's saying God has already paid the price. God has already made the promises. God has already redeemed us and made a way for us. All we got to do is turn back to him, right? So victory can be yours. You can experience victory. You can be living in victory. You don't have to be living in shame and reproach and be uh, and living in defeat and, and, and be complacent about and, and settling into your dirt. Your, your You know what I'm trying to say, guys. We should not be living in that type of way, right? So we should never be complacent about any injustice in this world, anything bad happening in this world, you know, in uncomfortable situations that we find ourselves in. You don't got to stay there. You know, we should be experiencing heaven here on earth, right? So the walls of Jerusalem need to be rebuilt, right? So this is what Nehemiah is saying. This is the application for us. Like, you don't have to stay there. God wants to do something. God wants to show up. So when God shows up, all that goes away, right? So like, yes, we should be yearning for it and holding God to his promises and desiring it, right? So in verse 10, Nehemiah reminds God of his relationship with his people, right? This is our relationship with him. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know, these are his people, his chosen ones, his redeemed people. He performed, performs miracles for these people. So don't forget that, God. He hasn't. Has he lost step and forgotten that? Does he have Alzheimer's or dementia or something? No. So <laughs> go to him. Like, hold him to his word, right? And so, like, uh, all right, so let's go ahead and go to verse 11. I'm not going to share my screen. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attended to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thou servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. Ooh, man, that, that word, I, that, that offends some Christians, man. I pray thee, thou, thou servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was a king's cupbearer. So, like Justin just talked about, man, Nehemiah, he's not boastful. He's not boasting about anything. He's a very humble person. So observe, Nehemiah is not for to tell us of what his position is. The last thing he mentioned, like me and Justice have been talking about in every video we've done, last thing he tells us is he's the king's cupbearer. And the reason why he did that, because it makes the story make so much sense. He was in a position for God to use him 
to talk to the king. Everybody else who's an Israelite was not in the same position as him. There's no other Israelite in that time period that was close to the king like Nehemiah. And because of that, God did the impossible, right? So I, I talked about it in my other videos, but the, basically the king of Persia, you don't just go around him, right? That's the first thing. He has to hold up his scepter and accept you into his room. If he doesn't hold up his scepter and accept you into his room, you can't go into wherever he is, right? He doesn't want to see you. Like you don't just come and go to him whenever you want. He has to call you, just like we heard in the book of Esther. And again, the book of Esther is kind of tied in with the book of Nehemiah, and the book of Ezra is tied in with Nehemiah and Esther as well. It's the same time period. Israelites are captives to the Persians, and Nehemiah finds himself in this time period as a cupbearer. So there's no telling how old Esther is, if she's around, is in the palace as well. But more than likely, King Artaxerxes is probably the stepson or the actual son of Esther from King Artaxerxes' father, a, a King Artaxerxes. But I'm going to talk about that with Nehemiah chapter 2. But I just wanted to throw that out there, right? So I forgot why I said that. But anyways, oh, that's why I said it. So Nehemiah, man, like... I told you, you don't just come to the king. Then also people thought about the king of Persia as a god, right? All the Persians thought about him as a god and you just drink his bath water, man. He don't, he don't poop or pee like anybody else. This ain't a man, man. So like, <laughs> so man, that's how they saw him. But like God was going to use this whole situation, right? Does that sound like a possible situation for Nehemiah to just talk to the king and ask him, you know, can I go to Jerusalem, you know, for however long to help rebuild the walls? Like before Nehemiah, like 15 years before Nehemiah, you got the book of Esther, right? the book of Ezra. And in the book of Ezra, 15 years before Nehemiah, Ezra tried to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And you want to know what happened? King Artaxerxes said, no, stop rebuilding. He only let them rebuild the temple because the nations around Israel. So you got the Amorites, the Ed Edomites, you got the Canaanites, you got all the ites, right? All these other nations told the king that, the Israelites are rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the gates because they're going to make another nation again. They're going to rebuild their nations to take out the Persians. So you, you got to stop the project. So they lied to the King Artaxerxes and King Artaxerxes said, okay, stop the project, right? And so Nehemiah has it on his heart to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. But this is the same king that told Ezra and the whole nation of Israel, you can't rebuild the walls and the gates. No, you can, you can only have your temple like King uh, Cyrus said, which was many years before uh, King Artaxerxes. By the way, it goes, that's an impossible situation, right? And so my whole sermon idea, the whole takeaway from Nehemiah chapter one is, you know, we, we have a God of miracles. We have a God that specializes in, do, in doing things that are impossible. So in the most unlikely situations, in the most, with the most unlikely people, so you got the most unlikely situation, being captive of Persia, being one of the scattered people in Persia, one of the scattered Israelites, cupbearer to the king, right? Then you got the most unlikely person, king of Persia. God was going to use all these unlikely people to do an extraordinary thing, right? And mm -hmm. so you have no idea how God is going to work things out sometimes. Mm -hmm. You may be in an impossible situation, but when God's in it and it's in line with God's will and it's what God wants to do, it's going to work out in the end, amen. So like who would have thought that the king of Persia would ever even consider Letting a cupbearer, one of his cupbearers, guys, there's only like 15 of them, maybe 25. I don't know. It's not that many, right? It probably was only five. I don't know. But either way, why would he let anybody? He has no reason to let Nehemiah go back to Israel, go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates. Like, just keep on being a cupbearer. Do your job, man. You're my slave. You're my servant. 
But he didn't do that. He let Nehemiah go. We'll see that in Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm spoiling it. But there's nothing, basically I'm saying there's nothing that God cannot do, right? Anything's possible with, with God on your side. God will make a way, man. So we got to live a life of faith. This is what Nehemiah did, man. This was a man of faith right here. Why would he even bother going to the king if he would, if he didn't have faith, right? And then obviously he had to pray to God, man. Pray to God before you act, man. I'm going to talk about that in a bit. I mean, I talked about it in other videos. You guys know. So God is a great God, right? But you have to go to him in faith if you want to see him work, right? So Nehemiah, he went before the true king. He didn't run to the king initially, the king of Persia, for this problem. He went to God first and prayed. That's what we see in Nehemiah chapter 1. You didn't see him at all as the king for anything. He just heard of a problem. And what did he do? He prayed and went through God's word to figure out what the God word said, said about all of this to apply to his life. Because this took a duration of four months before he ever went to the king in Nehemiah chapter 2. It took four months. So that's what him and I think it took that long for him to go through the Bible, figure out God's word, figure out God's will, figure out, you know, all God's promises and how does this purpose, this calling, this burden on my heart apply to my life and what does God want me to do with it, right? So stuff don't just happen in this world, guys. You got to pray things out. You got to make sure, you got to make sure what God wants to do in your life, man. So Nehemiah believed otherwise, he would never, he, he would have never prayed, right? So Nehemiah has to go to the king and ask for the impossible eventually, right? But he went to the true king, right? The, the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, to really get the situation resolved, right? Not, not the Persian king. And a lot of times, that's what I was going to say, a lot of times we run to men. We, we, we run to our friends. We run to, we run to our coworkers, our parents. You know, when we have a problem, but who do you run to first, right? It should be God before you do anything. And then God's going to make sure... You are, you are on the right path. You just ask him if you're his child, right? So, Justin, you have anything else, man? Yeah, I just want to, like, wrap up what you were saying. Uh, that makes me think of, like, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. You were just saying, like, sometimes we don't know, like, how God will resolve this or what God will do. But Philippians has told us, like, we need to, for everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, like, through prayer and petition. That means we just need to keep praying and keep praying. Like, bring these things to God. God cares about the things that we want. Like, we don't know how God will answer them. We don't even know, like, if it falls in line with what he wants. But, like, Nehemiah is bringing this to God. He's He spent months praying. So, like, we shouldn't be afraid to pray, bring our own things to God as well. Like, that's first and foremost what we should be doing. Like, if we just do a, if we just, like, go bullheaded into it. Like we don't know what the consequences of that will be, but we need to bring this to God first. And we don't need to be afraid to, because God is a loving God. And as Nehemiah did, he brought it with thanksgiving. He was thankful God was a good father. thankful that God was a king above all kings that listened to them. You know, it's, we, <laughs> I, I can't emphasize it enough. Like we just need to bring these things to God. Yeah, man, there's so much more I want to say, man, but we, we're at time, man. Like, because with verse 11, man, there's so much, man. Like, yeah, I'm gonna say a few, I'm gonna say a few things, man. Like, with verse, oh, go ahead. No, I said go for it. Yeah, with verse 11, it's, it's my favorite part, probably in the book of Nehemiah, man. Like, Nehemiah chapter one, uh, you know, Nehemiah says, Grant, grant me mercy in the sight of this man, right. So Nehemiah concluded 
this his whole writing in Nehemiah chapter one by asking God to bless him uh, when he would soon speak to the king of Persia, Persia about this matter, right? About rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the gates of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah was going to do something about this tragic uh, state that Jerusalem found themselves in, right? The people of Jerusalem, the walls, everything. So he knew that without God's intervention, he couldn't do anything. That's what I was trying to say earlier, right? Like this is an impossible situation. Without God backing you up, without God intervening on your behalf, it's not going to happen. How much is that true for all of us? This is, this is why it's so important to watch. This is why it's so important to know God's will for your life. Because if you don't know, you're just going to be wasting your time. You're going to be wasting your efforts. You're going to be wasting manpower. You're going to be wasting money. Man, just stop. If God didn't say invest your money, don't invest your money. If God didn't say marry that person, dang sure don't marry that person. Don't have kids with them especially. Right? So like Nehemiah said, let your servant prosper this day, man. Oh, that's what I was going to say, man. Like prosper is like a bad word for people, man. Like people, they, man, they're like, man, prosper, prosperity gospel. Like don't be teaching the prosperity gospel. But that's what God wants to do to us, man. He wants to for us to prosper. He wants for us to be successful. He wants to, he wants to, that's the only way you know God worked in your life, man, is the results. You're going to have the fruit. The fruit will, will show people that you know God and God did it on your behalf. Nehemiah was going to be used by God to do an impossible situation. It didn't even say that he even rebuilt the walls. Like it was, in Nehemiah chapter three, his name wasn't mentioned at all. It was all these other names, a lot of names. And it didn't even mention Nehemiah's name once, like which section he tried to rebuild or anything like that. So God was going to use other people. His job was to motivate people, get people to do the work, to get the backing of the king and letters from the king and the wood, all the tools and the army support for them to be able to rebuild the walls. Right. So everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a part to play. All right. So I'm, I'm OK. I'll say that's so many other lessons, man. So like, let me stay on topic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this prayer, uh, this is a prayer of a man of action, not not somebody on the sidelines or, or a critic. You know, Nehemiah said, let your servant prosper this day. So Nehemiah, he does not pray, you know, God, make it make it all better or, you know, God, get someone else to do the work, you know, get someone else moving on this problem. No, this is what Nehemiah said in his prayer. He said he basically said, God, use me to make it better, you know. How can I do something about this? Like, what do you, but first he says, what do you want, God? Like, I'm willing, I'm a willing vessel, right? So change starts with you, right? What things in the world that you want to happen, that you know is aligned with God's will, that you know that God wants for his people, that God has put on your heart to do? Are you doing something about it, right? And, and so this, it's a double-edged sword. I told you, me and Justin have been holding in that you need to pray before you act, right? But after you pray, you need to act. But how many people refuse to act and they just focus on praying? We're going to talk about that a lot with Nehemiah chapter 2. Like everybody just, it's two different ways you could do it in the Christian world. Most people just pray, 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 pray and never act. Or most people act, 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 and never pray. But it has to be a balance, right? And we see that with the book of Nehemiah, man. You don't just talk about something. You do something about it, right? You don't just say, I wish, I wish, you know, you got to act, right? So like, don't just talk about what you're going to do. Just do it and let your actions speak for itself. Because if you really believed it, this is another, another quote I was going to say, don't tell, don't tell people what you believe, right? Show them by your actions. Because if you really believed it, it will show up in your life. Your life will look completely different. 
it will, it will change other people's lives. Your life will be changed, right? So yeah, man, don't speak, just act. Don't talk, just do. Don't say, just prove. Don't promise, just prove. This is Nehemiah's life. This would be the life of every believer. We don't, we're not just hearers of the word. We don't just hear what a problem is. Nehemiah heard what a problem was with, from Hanani, his brethren, about what was going on in Jerusalem, right? At the very beginning of chapter in Nehemiah chapter one. And what did he do about it? He eventually would act, right? We're not just hearers of the word. Word. We're doers of the word, right? So that's so powerful, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to say earlier, man. Laying the matter to heart, Nehemiah did not speak with other people about what they would do, right? Nehemiah could have went around all of the palace. He could have yeah. went around all of the king horses, all the king's men and gossip about the problem in Jerusalem. And that would have been awful because these are Persians he's around. Right. And that's what a lot of people do. A lot of people tell people what their dreams are or what God's calling them to do. And telling pagans, telling atheists, telling agnostics, telling people that don't give a dang or hill of beans about the gospel, about God or anything. Right. So that's what I was trying to say. Like, you got to be careful what you who you tell your dreams to. You got to be careful of telling people what your calling is because they'll just destroy it. They'll just ruin it, man. They'll just deter you from doing what God called you to be. They'll just, you know, be so negative that you don't even want to do it no more. Stop talking. Right. Pray and then act. Right, leave it between you and God, and when God tells you to tell somebody, then you tell somebody. Like with Nehemiah, when the opportunity presents itself, he prayed for opportunity with verse eleven, right? And when the opportunity presented itself, he had to be ready, right? <laughs> We're gonna talk about that like crazy with Nehemiah chapter two. So, uh, laying the matter to heart, Nehemiah also uh, he did not draw up a wonderful scheme about what might be done if if a thousand people joined in the enterprise, and he didn't it it didn't occur to him that he could do it himself either, right? So, like, Nehemiah had to do a lot of planning, a lot of praying, like, a lot of figuring out on his own, right? But it wasn't on his, on his own. God had his back, right? And the last thing I was going to say, this is the, my favorite part, right? Justin, did you have anything else you want to add? Because this is my favorite part, and I was going to end it. No, no, I think that's a great way to end it. Go ahead and say it. All right, so Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, we see that he says, and grant him mercy. So grant me mercy in the sight of this man, right? That's so powerful. I told you earlier that in Persia, they saw the king as a god, right? So he's just another god. He's powerful, man. He does. He's not like all of the rest of us. He's not a mere man. And we see Nehemiah here say that this was just a mere man in the sight of this man, right? So Nehemiah calls the king a man, just merely another human being. For the greatest of men are just men before God, right? Celebrities, the most famous people, the people you idolize, the the ones that really you really admire, the ones that, man, you'll drink their bath water. Like dumb people, they're just men before God. They're nobodies. They're just like you, right? So like, so that's, I like Psalms 118, man. Like there's so many sermons I'm going to preach on that, but I'll just read 118. Uh, I mean, Psalms 148, verse 11 through 13 reads, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. And basically with Psalms 148, it's just talking about praising the Lord. Everybody will praise the Lord from the top down, starting with the stars and the sun. But before that, you got the heavens. You got the heavens of heavens. You got the uh, heavenly host. You got you got angels. You got stars. Then it talks about the galaxy. So even the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the creatures, the crickets, the, the, the uh, cows, the doves, 
every everything in creation is praising the Lord. Then it gets to the last part. Like, so it, it starts from the top down. So in verse 11 through 13 is the end, right? So it's talking about how all creation, so all men, kings of the earth and all people, whoever you are, princes and all judges of the earth. So whether you're a governor, whether you're a bookkeeper, whether you're a janitor, young man or old men, fat or skinny, old or, you know, or old men or children, right? All these people praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because his name alone is excellent. Nobody else's name is as excellent as our Lord. Nobody else's glory is above the earth and heaven. Michael Jackson's a bad dude. Michael Jordan's a bad dude. I mean, think about the baddest person you know. I don't know. Somebody beautiful. Uh, Cardi B. I think she's pretty. Like, so you got all these pretty people. Like, so like, like you, you, we puff them up, make them into gods. But do they compare to our true God? No. And this is what Nehemiah is saying. Nehemiah is saying, this king of Persia is just a mere man. He's a nobody. So God can make the courts of princes to be friends and patreons for the church's cause. Right? God did the impossible. Right? Man, it just is so much, man. Like, my last verse I'm saying, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to read nothing else. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. As rivers of water, he turneth it whatever he wills. So whichever way he wants it to go. I love that verse so much, man. So God can do anything with anybody. The king of Persia, uh, King Cyrus, he helped the Israelites to rebuild the temple 70 years before Nehemiah's time period. The Persians sort of always had Israelite, the Israelites back, even though they were captives to the land, right? So God would use another Persian king, King Artaxerxes, to help rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. So God was going to move King Artaxerxes' heart, right? to do God's will. And God can do that in our lives too, man. God can do the impossible, man. So that's the mercy of God, man. Nehemiah wasn't praying about, you know, the, the king's mercy, you know, on earth, King Artaxerxes. No, God, I want your mercy. Because if I got your mercy, I got your favor with me. I got your blessings with me. I got your will with me. I got your faith. I got everything I need, right? So the favor, favor with men springs forth and happens because of the mercy of the Lord, right? So that's so many other scripture verses, man. I think I'm gonna do another video on just verse 11, man. I'll, I'll, I'll keep, I'll say what I think. You had anything else, Justin? No, I, I think I said everything I want to for this. Yeah. I'm glad the prayer part, finally. Like the prayer part was just, uh, man, just so like uh, we, we were building up on it so much, but like it doesn't disappoint. Yeah. Now I'm really sad, man. I'm really sad we didn't even get to talk about, talk about it all the way. I should never read all those verses, you know, Deuteronomy 30 and, Isaiah 11, 12 wasn't that bad, but <laughs> there's some verses that tore us up, man. It's all right, more videos to do, man. But all right, guys, uh, that's the video. I know you guys enjoyed it, man. We got to hurry up and end this. So uh, it's your boy, Dr. J, you know, Sean Christopher Jenkins. So you make sure to go to all the rest of my social media platforms. Follow me on all of them. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast, you know, be friendly on my Facebook and LinkedIn page, my Twitter, my Instagram, my TikTok, all that stuff. So here they are. And then also, uh, if you want more, if you go to my YouTube channel, Upload Past Crossroads, right, you, you'll see all the sermons and Bible study I did on the book of Nehemiah. If you go to this playlist on my YouTube channel, Upload Past Crossroads, and on this playlist on the book of Nehemiah chapter one, you can see all the sermons, Bible studies and stuff like that me and Justin have done on the book of Nehemiah as well. And then here goes Justin's YouTube channel as well. You make sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel, like all his videos, comment, share. If you don't do those things to our YouTube channels, man, you're hurting us, man. Like we need you to bless us, man. This is the only way you bless us. Comment, share, like, 
all that stuff, man. Subscribe, turn on a post notification when you know so you know when we upload another video. And then here goes his Facebook page, Justin Lee Howe. All right, so that's the video, guys. I know you guys enjoyed it. I know it was long, but man, we got way more for you guys. I'm not done talking about Nehemiah chapter one. I still got verse 11. And then me and Justin are going to talk about true confession with those verses as well. With Nehemiah chapter one, verse five through 11. But all right, guys, you got we got a lot more in store for you. God bless you. You guys have a stupendous and great rest of your weekend. And the whole application for this Sunday school lesson, this Bible study, is hold God to his promises. Hold God to his word. So I pray that this video inspired everybody to read his word. And so you can hold them to his word. All right. I'll keep it at that. All right. Peace out, guys. Have a stupendous rest of your weekend until we meet again. God bless. Peace.